0: Hi, it's Randy with the Holistic Health Outline. What a tremendous response to our laying out of the health reform bill which you know, will be changed a million times, and then they'll try to sneak some things in there after they come back to vote on it when we're all in Washington on September 11th and 12th. Um, but at least Americans now know what's going on. You know, it actually went viral and went to the Chicago Tribune, which is um, pretty impressive. And uh, apparently, people have been copying, 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 and taking notes and doing all that stuff and sending it to as many people as they could. And we're getting mails back now, emails showing us our own stuff. So. This is good. (laughs) My name wasn't on it, but it doesn't matter because it's not for my name or my ego. It's so the American people know what's really going on. The Republican bill I can't help you with because it's not up on any website, but I will tell you this that from what I read yesterday, um, they're mostly concentrating on cutting costs and protecting some business interests. They haven't even looked at page 425 or any of the stuff about seniors. Um, which they should have, especially since Obama was uh, using AARP as a propaganda tool yesterday. For all of you who are in AARP, I suggest that you start boycotting them because they are not on your side. They are a travel agency that specializes in insurance, and they are an insurance um, lobbyist who have backed this plan completely. Now, why is it so important that this gets done before the end of the year people have been struggling when trying to figure out why obama is doing the things he's doing and why he's doing them so fast and where he comes from and why did he seal all of his records including all of his school records and passports and all that stuff and they concentrate on his birthplace which we won't even get into because we all know what's going on there but, what that does is I think they actually want us to concentrate on that because that keeps dividing the nation and it makes the people who are looking into those things sound nuts and it's it's a good cop out thing, so I, I think that's why they're not showing anybody anything <laughs> so that people will continue the the rumors because it 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 does um, distract from other things that are going on okay uh, anyway, so people have been trying to figure out what the heck is going on and why and what 's the big hurry? Why do we have to push healthcare through now when we 've had forty or fifty years of this healthcare model and um, and, and it works well and eighty five percent of Americans are happy with it? Why are we pushing through this big thing well i 'm going to tell you something I, I am on a a blog I do a blog on something called town hall it 's called walk to talk it 's uh, Earthwalk is the the um, author <laughs> so I guess my name is Earthwalk, or Earthwalk USA um, Anyway, I do a blog and one of the blogs that I wrote about is, is what people need to know um, Obama has a first love and it wasn't Michelle it was his community organizing he told you that in, in in many speeches how and and how proud he was to be a community organizer nestled somewhere in the south side of chicago and now also in thirty four states puerto rico south africa i think has three or more um, outlets is a faith-based they say organization that once hired barack obama to be its community organizer Saul alinsky remember that name Created what was called the Back of the Yards Community Council in the South Side of Chicago to help generate participation in these um, community endeavors to better many things among the poor and black and the Latinos. Its motto was "We shall decide our own destiny." Okay, it evolved from then when Saul Alinsky started it into the present-day foundation in 1968. But it didn't truly begin to grow until Barack Obama showed up. And around the year two thousand they laid out an agenda for change. All of this is gonna sound very familiar because you heard about it in two thousand eight. But this all started in the year two thousand actually started in sixty eight and, and you know, all back then. But their agenda for change started truly in the year two thousand. Um the conditions that they believe led to their all these strategies that they have they describe as American apartheid. Now, if you go back to Reverend Wright's church um, and then see who they support, you understand or begin to understand what is going on here. Okay, in the year 2000, this group announced their 10-year plan to transform America. You might remember that Obama, about three days before the election, announced very proudly there were three days before, quote, we transformed the United States of America, end quote. Okay, this group believes in mass numbers, employing every bully technique they can think of to influence local, community, and national agendas. This is an acorn. Acorn is an arm of this. This is the original Barack Obama community organization in Chicago. They have several arms, okay, and those arms incorporate recruitment, training, expansion, of course. They're now in 34 states, And like I said. Finances, redistricting. Healthcare, transportation, and housing. So all of you out there who are blaming George Bush for the economy, you can stop now because he was not and is not a member of any of these groups. They have more than 735 groups and congregations affiliated with this group. Now, that's congregations. That's hundreds of people. That's hundreds of thousands when you put them all together. Add that with ACORN, George Soros' uh, group with CIU, S- and you have several million. You want to know how Obama got elected? One promise that organizer Obama gave as one of their most esteemed leaders was to f- fulfill this agenda by the year 2010. That agenda included to ensure housing was available and affordable for all minorities and working-class citizens, to attach the wealth of the small percentage of Americans in the wealthy class and redistribute that wealth to the needy. Look at the banks and financial institutions. What's going on with the IMF? We guess gave $20 billion to the IMF, the Federal Reserve did in our Treasury Department, because they're all hooked up, and the IMF yesterday gave $15 billion to other countries. Who need it to help their poor people? To ensure housing is available and affordable for all minorities and working class citizens, that was the Acorn job. That was the use any bullying technique possible to to uh, go into the banks and financial institutions and push them into providing uh, mortgages for people, whether they had paperwork or not, or had a job or not, and whether they could afford the housing or not to attach the wealth I already talked about and redistribute that wealth but it gets redistributed across boundaries so the next part of their agenda is to redraw boundaries and districts in every state because they believe that these boundaries have been manipulated by the white man to enslave blacks and latinas in poverty the census is coming in 2010 isn't it and acorn is going to lead the census now here's a big one to provide universal health care for every citizen in the united states legal or not as god intended Nancy Pelosi even came out today and said again, we need affordable universal health care for every citizen. This is a direct quote from this group. Okay? Whether they're legal or not. So, so once we provide this universal health care, everybody in the world can come to America and get free care. As long as you're working to provide for it, it'll be okay. They also wanted to force automobile companies to build smaller, more affordable, and eco-friendly cars so the poor can afford transportation because transportation is one of their arms. Do you remember GM and Chrysler? Do you see what happened? Buy a Ford. Ford did not take stimulus money and did not buckle under this pressure. Okay. I I am so proud of Ford. For not for not doing, but doesn't matter. They're going to have GM, government motors, and and Chrysler, and you know, with other countries, they're going to do this and that and other. And they're and they're all doing it. They're saying these things because we have global warming. Well, now you know that that's a farce. That's so Al Gore can make over a hundred million, which he has this year. And people who invest in the cap and trade industries and the commodities off Chicago's board of exchange can also make millions. So there's a lot in it for a lot of people. Okay. If you don't see this pattern or you don't understand the mission, I suggest you do some homework. Realize that he said all along that these community organizations would shape his agenda and transform the country. By the way, um, those of you who do listen to him, which, how can you help it? He's on every channel every day. This is an egocentrist person, I'm telling you. Um, You notice he always says that there's 45 or 47 million people who don't have health care in this country. And every single time, the Republicans, the pundits, the newscasters, the this and that, the other people come back and say, well, he's wrong. You know, there's 20 million, it's 26 million, or it's 13 million, and 10 million of those are illegal, and blah, 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 blah. Well, if you go to this this group's website, it's a direct quote from them. They can repeatedly state that there are 47 million people in this country without health care. So he has done his homework from that group. You want to know who's on his his uh... his um, oh, what do you call it you know his phone his cell phone, what do you call it anyway um, you want to know who keeps on texting him and telling him what to do it's these groups who said don't forget your promise to do this and that and the other and we'll help you do this and that and the other and uh, it, it's too easy it's almost too easy the problem is they're huge They're huge. The SEIU, some of you are probably in if you're a teacher or a healthcare worker. have These groups of teachers and healthcare workers have donated millions upon millions to ACORN and SEIU every year for the last ten years. Because they believed that this would change their poor schools. You know there are a lot of teachers who are dedicated to teaching, who will go to poor schools and ghettos and watch what's going on and and cry when they get home, and so they see this promise of, oh boy, we're going to redistrict. Well, basically, that's um, when you redistrict. What you're doing is, if you have, oh, let's say you have a a suburban complex that that has been built up over the last ten years but because of housing prices ninety percent of its white so that is a very white district and it's grown and it's it's populated and um, and they vote and the census says there's this many people there and so when the federal government or the state government needs or wants to do specific projects and earmarked projects they say this district has more money than that one over there because that one the houses aren't as expensive and there aren't as many people and blah 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 so when you redistrict what you do is you say wait a minute you know that housing project really only has a hundred white families but this project over here this one has 700 black families and Latina families. The houses are more poor, but they're going to redistrict it so that the money goes to the needy and the poor. I don't have too much of a problem with that, except quit trying to take it from everybody who didn't do anything. <laughs> who didn't, you know, who had just been living their lives trying to be good Americans, following the rules, following the laws, working hard, having an ethic, a work ethic, and a belief ethic that says if you're an American, you work. And nothing is given to you for nothing. These are the people that everybody is now trying to damn. You know, Reverend Wright, God damn America. I'm sorry. No way. Um, does it bring up anger? Absolutely. Does it bring up racism? Oh, my God. If you weren't racist before, you get racist now, don't you? Between between listening to this and the, the beer party that's going on tonight, is Thursday, um, and whose teaching moment is this? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. I mean, I was never racist as a, as a child. Um, I, I remember, actually... I was, I was probably racist but didn't know it, but I was like in second grade, so what do you know? Um, but I think I was second grade when the first black student came to school, or at least I knew about because they were the only one in my grade. And um, we were still at the point, those, when you're in second grade, you still like stand in circles and hold hands and do all that stuff, or you used to. I don't know if <laughs> anybody does that anymore. And nobody would, would hold her hand, but I would. and I know it felt different the skin was different the consistency the oiliness the dryness um, of our skins were different but it didn't I was like wow that's cool I mean nothing there was no um, emotion other than fascination and childhood fascination with differences and what you have to learn you know it's like you climb an apple tree and then you climb an oak tree there's a big difference of course, nowadays, most of the newscasters and pundits and so-called very smart people out there have never even climbed a tree, so they wouldn't understand that. <laughs> and they ask them, see if they have. Oh, no, he might get hurt. I break a nail. Um, whatever. But So anyway, so I held this girl's hand. And, of course, I was, I was rather ostracized by other people in my class, but didn't know why. I didn't understand why. Well, they had come from upper-middle-class families, white families, who said... We don't like black people. They didn't call them black people then, but I'm not going to get knocked off the air because I I changed the words. But I didn't know that because my my father wasn't a lawyer or a doctor. He wasn't rich. He was a a business person. He owned a restaurant. Um, But he wasn't... And he was upperly mobile, and he was Italian. My father, so um, he was already ostracized by much of the community because Italians were looked upon as, you know, being creasy wops or dagos or whatever, as if the white European Anglo-Saxon English Germans were perfect, but or Irish or whatever they were. So you know, he, they had their own problems. But but, um, and my, I'm sure my father and mother were racist in many ways because they they had their own oppression that they felt but we weren't we didn't talk about don't go near black people or don't you should be afraid of them or or any of those things that people talk about that i can't even relate to and therefore can't even you know duplicate in what i'm talking about um then of course you know as we go through high school and you go through exchange students from other countries and, and we just didn't look at the world the way some people look at the world now, I know that, that a lot of black people listening to this will say, well, it's because you didn't feel the oppression. Well, yeah, okay. I, I won't go there because we all have our own oppressions. I mean, if you're a female, if you were back in the 70s, I mean, I fought for a lot of stuff for women to um, be able to take courses and go to college, whether they were black or white. didn't matter. It was a gender thing. Uh, a working class thing, I, I fought for, you know, besides Title IX, I fought for a lot of stuff in the university system in the state of New York to make sure that. They there, were, um, there was financing for people who wanted to get the financing, who promised to pay it back, not just get it from the government. Um, I took black studies and blacks and film. I took all that stuff to try to... Uh, you know, and it was really funny because when I took the first blacks and film course I took... Uh, was with Jim Pappas at the State University of New York at Buffalo in 1979 or something like that. And we I was a film major. I was a media studies major and a communications major. So I um, ended up with a double degree, completely different, but that's beside the point. Anyway, I took this blacks and film course, and I was the only white person in the course. <laughs> and I think there were about 30 or more people in that course, and what we had to do was read or read a lot of books, and, and then watch films that might coordinate with the books um, or correlate to them, and and then you know write your analysis and discuss it and all that stuff. And so one of the films that we had to watch was done on *Night of the Living Dead*, and here we were in this our regular auditorium where I was sitting by myself, several rows back, and then groups of black people um, who knew each other. Sat in different groups around the auditorium, and uh, I didn't think anything of it. It was like they know each other, and I don't, and they hang out, and I don't, and da, da da da. So anyway, so this film starts, and what he did was he turned. I mean, it was pitch black in this theater, and he turned the sound up a maximum. And none of us had ever seen this film, nor had we. I mean, this was 1979. It wasn't like all the films that were out in the 80s and 90s that, that will scare the hell out of you and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we all sat there and watched the film. What was real interesting, the most interesting or the funniest part was by the time the movie was over, all of us were sitting together because we had just gravitated towards the humanness of each other. Because Night of the Living Dead is about zombies who come back from the dead and eat you and eat each other. And, and there's this one, there's only one black person in the film, and, and um, he tries to save a lot of people. And is a hero, but the cops and the and the villagers and the community people who are trying to kill these zombies know that you have to shoot them, you know, right between the eyes. It's the only way you can kill him And because he his face shows up in the window at the end, and he's black, they assume he must be a zombie. So of course they kill him. And that's what the whole theme was, and that's why we're supposed to write about it. But the point is, is that it was a scary movie, and and it. <clears throat> Reminded you that they weren't human, but you are. And somehow, by the end of the movie, us 30 were all sitting in the same rows. I don't think there was a space between anyone because we we gravitated towards the humanity of each other without, and I'm sure, you know, um, I mean, this was supposed to be a, a study in some sorts in racism because there was, it was racism on the cops' part and the community part, and they just assumed through stereotyping that if there was a black man in a white person's house that it has to be a zombie, which is exactly what's going on today um, with this cop thing. Um except that the roles are kind of reversed. And um, and so, of course, we had to analyze that. And and I had trouble with it because I was like, why did they assume that there was a black person in a white house that that had to be the zombie? I didn't understand it, but every black person there did. And so I started to learn what racism was. And I also learned about myself that I just, for some reason, wasn't trained to be racist I knew I was because I would take some things for granted or or assume things that I shouldn't Um, I I lived and when I got uh, some roommates while I was in college. One of them is, is has passed away, Wanda, but she was a big black woman who was also a film studies major, and she and three others of us lived in a, a house on the west side of Buffalo, and um, we were very good friends. I loved Wanda, and and just totally enjoyed each other. She was very smart. She had she got um, heart disease and died at the age of twenty eight or something, but. Um, Anyway, Wanda and I used to do a lot of talking, but we never talked race. We talked, we talked, you know, politics, but not, um, not racial politics, because there wasn't an underlying thing with us. It wasn't like I was angry at her; or she was angry at me. There wasn't that fear that that generates anger. Um. So anyway, I, I. I I li- my room was right across the hall from hers, and one day we're getting ready. All of us are getting ready. We're going to go out to do something, have dinner, go to a movie or something, or meet people. I don't know what we we're doing. And she asked if she could borrow my hair dryer, and I s- I said what? And she goes, can I borrow your hair dryer, um, to dry my hair? And I and it- I was. I don't know how old I was, 25, maybe, I don't know. And I came out in the hallway with the hairdryer and just looked at her. And this is like a scene from a movie. And she's huge. She was a big woman. She was, you know, I'm not big. I'm kind of short. But she was like 5'10 and 300 pounds. I mean, she was big. And she she was just lovely. Um, But anyway, I stood in the the hallway and I said, why do you want my (laughs) hairdryer? And she goes, well, why do you think I want your hairdryer? I said, I don't know. Well, here she's got her wet, kinky, curly, black hair, and I'm standing there with this hair dryer, and she kind of grabs it from me, and she just laughed. And I said, well, what are you going to use it for? She said, my hair. And then I started laughing hysterically because I, it had never occurred to me that black people with different hair—it was kinky, it was curly, it was um, black usually or dark brown at least—they um, put things on it that I didn't know about, and and I said I, it never occurred to me that they would use a hair dryer. <laughs> I thought they used curling irons or or I didn't know what you know because it wasn't my thing. So I just was like, whatever they do, no big deal. But I saw a part of me and a part of her that I hadn't seen before. And that part was that, I, I of course, I had things to learn. But she had already learned that I didn't need to learn them because there was no anger. There was no um, resentment that I didn't know that. We just laughed. It was like, wow, well, it never occurred to me that he would use a hair dryer. Why, I don't know. But it never did. So, um, anyway, that was a time to learn about myself and my racist tendencies and as time of course has gone on I've done a lot around these things but um... and being part Native American of course you feel those things too and being female and being a marine during the Vietnam War you feel some oppression coming back from that now you have a whole nother group that's being oppressed um... but the main thing I learned through all of these things and at this age have learned very well is you never stay the victim that is the worst thing to do don't ever Stay the victim. Don't use it as an excuse. Because you'll get nowhere and you only live here once. You know, you're on earth once. And you gotta do the best you can to get through all the stuff that we have to go through as humans to try to reach that higher part of ourselves. Whether you believe in God or not, there's something higher out there. And, and to keep going back on, uh, well, you don't know what it's like. Even the president, oh, I was racial profiled. Well, shit, I've been gender profiled and height profiled and Italian profiled. And and um, uh, I happen to have a high IQ, so, of course, I had a lot of people in my classes who thought that I should not be in their classes when I was very young. Um, my father was Italian, owned a business in a community that didn't like Italians. So, I, you know, I mean, I've had stuff happen, but it's like, so stop uh, move on we were talking about this this morning it's like that inner child when and and your childhood you know when you're little kids you start calling each other names when you get scared or when you feel rejected or when you feel alone or abandoned or not as good as somebody else or whatever it is that makes us feel those those things and so what do you do you start lashing out you say you're stupid and you start calling names you call names <laughs> and and what we used to say is kids with stick you know sticks and stones can break my bones but names can never hurt me well as the fifties turned into the sixties and the sixties to the seventies all of a sudden people weren't just calling names anymore they were using sticks and stones and those sticks and stones hurt a lot of people they also used things called sticks with uh, ammunition in them and sticks with blades on them um, things like that so it wasn't the name calling anymore it was sticks and stones that were breaking bones but the names were still there. We still know they were calling, you know, my uncle a a a dago. He was actually a wop. <laughs> or calling my friend the dumb Jew. You know, she was Jewish, but she never went to synagogue. Um, calling names and doing that stuff because we're never quite sure what that person is thinking of us, um, where we stand with them what they're going to do to us based on what somebody has trained us to believe. Uh, All those things that cause this kind of anger and hatred and, uh, and what is going on now. This is what has caused this man in office to spend his life, he says. Community organizing to transform America. This is payback. This is reparations this is reparations not going far enough this is every black and latina and poor person in the united states will now have a car and a house and free health care and they'll get taken care of and we will help them go to college and they can work for the united states for a little bit in americorps to learn and be trained on how to organize and train others and for that service we will we will forget and forgive some of their um, their college costs so that they can get a college education and this will change everything and we won't have have this unequal stuff going on anymore where there's twenty percent of us are rich and the rest of us are poor or ten percent are rich and the rest are almost poor this is what is happening and this is why and there's and there it it, just go to i'll tell you what you're going to (laughs) google um let's see i'm not sure Let's see. I think you Google G-A-M-A-L-I-E-L. Google that, and, and you'll, you'll go to their main site, which is all about their June thing in, in Washington, but just forget that. Go up to the top and start looking at every single one of the little, you know, if you hit on history, go to the history and the philosophy and the strategies and the, the leadership and who the leaders are and where they are and what their agenda is and what they're trying to do and you will understand exactly what Barack Obama and his 32 czars and Nancy Pelosi are doing. We have 535 people in our congress and 234 of them are members of these organizations. That's scary. Now, are are these organizations inherently bad? It depends on who you are, doesn't it? But. To take an agenda and assume that every white person in this country is responsible for your oppression, your poverty, your inability to get ahead, your um, your lackadaisical attitude, your inability to stay off drugs, your inability to stop your your friends from—I mean—to to make it all of our fault is not going to change anything it's going to cause civil war my parents didn't own slaves my grandparents didn't my mother's seventh generation she never her family never owned slaves it was the aristocrats that did okay and did they do it for bad reasons no they didn't understand any of this stuff things evolve you know they didn't understand and then look at it this way they bought slaves and brought them to america or the slaves were delivered and then auctioned in America. Barack Obama's family, two generations beyond him, sold slaves from Africa. It was Africans and Arabs and Islamic people who sold the slaves in Africa to the colonialists and the, the Europeans in America. I didn't do it. They did it. Should we kill them all for that? wasn't that a horrible thing? They sold slaves. Well, it was more horrible because you were over here and some white person bought them. All right. And they were beaten and they were stoned and people hated them. Mm -hmm. And my Italian ancestors had to wear bracelets and were profiled constantly and thrown in jails and beaten because they were Italian. And my Native American ancestors were beaten and burned and thrown off their land. I guess I should be an angry, awful, violent person. I should go stand in front of voting booths with clubs and try to scare people away from voting for someone that I don't want them to vote for. I guess I should just carry that anger with me forever and beat my children or throw them away or take drugs and kill myself. I guess I should always be the victim. I should just hold on to that victim energy forever and ever so that I have an excuse for anything that I can't seem to get done or do. Until we understand all this, until we change ourselves and start changing our understanding of this, we're not going to get over it. Obama's not going to transform America. He's going to transform one half of it. And the other half is going to be angry about it. And then we're going to have civil war. Unless we start looking at these things and talking to each other. Go ahead and uh, Google. G-M-A-L-I-E-L and look at the history and the guy who was the first organizer of three and who he will say in his um, his old videos from 2002 and 2006 who he used to talk to he said before I talked about immigration reform I'm, I talked to SEIU and I talked to so and so and before I talked about changing the way um, uh, the budget should work in Texas should work I talked to so and so and so and so from the SEIU from Gamalaya and then you'll understand where he's coming from and it doesn't mean it's right he's using the same chip on his shoulder and you've seen it you've seen the chip and you've seen it come out and he is harboring within his own inner child that same negative victim energy that pushes him to do the things that he's doing his little inner child His mother left him, his father left him, all these things happened to him, and it was because he was black. Michael Jackson felt the same things. He tried to turn himself white, but he had, Michael Jackson was much smarter than Barack Obama. He understood that if you brought black and white together, ebony and ivory, so they could understand each other in a way that came from not fear, and not anger, and not inner child destruction, and not the chip on your shoulder victim stuff, that maybe you could find love somewhere. I loved Wanda, and she died. (laughs) And I will laugh till the day I die about the things that we learned about each other. If you want to read the blogs, they're on uh, townhall.com, under earthwalk usa If you want to read our other blogs, you go to earthwalk usacom um, You know, some of these people who uh, you see on television, like Bernie Goldberg, and they're following me on Twitter. So, <laughs> all of a sudden today I get this notice, Bernie Goldberg is not following you on Twitter. Why would he follow me? He follows 3,000 people in the whole world and I'm one of them, so that's cool. We're also on Facebook. Some of you have found us on Facebook. I I don't respond to all the things on Facebook, but there's lots of interesting things on there, and you have to be connected to understand what's going on in everybody's heads. I will be back um, to teach you a little bit more because this is a teaching moment for all of us, Um, but you need to understand, this was Obama's first love, and Soto Mayor, who will be uh, confirmed, I'm sure, is part of the SEIU, and and part of all these organizations and a Latina woman who is wiser because they live in all of these circumstances, she believes. So she will be. And um, one of the things on the agendas is to change a lot of the laws that oppress minorities and underprivileged people. And she'll be on the Supreme Court, so things will change. Um, people voted for this change, so I guess half of this country wanted this. I don't know. What I do know is that I have to understand it and I have to help you understand it so we can survive it one way or the other and get through it and do what we have to do to change whatever we have to change so that we can be better in the end. This is Raina G. Thanks for listening. Go to earthwalk-usa.com.